0: Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope and the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will come along
1: So I'm, open, I'm opening this up? Yeah. Okay, Okay. so I guess icebreaker time, because that's, that's my role here. So after Jesus resurrected, he goes to Peter. They're hanging out and they're eating fish, which leads us to think that there will be food in heaven. So my question to you is, when you get to heaven, what's going to be in your pantry or what's going to be on the stove? This
2: is Mallory here. Um, how do you come up with these questions?
1: It is on the fly.
2: <laughs> it's just that's the thing that you think about is, you know, one day, what am I going to have in my pantry?
1: Food. <laughs> my sister asked me that one time hmm. but several years ago, so I guess that's a good, like, I don't know. Okay. Oh.
2: All right. Well, I'm trying to think. Uh, I would have a lot of weird things. I think I would want like popcorn, fresh bread, um, oh, olive tapenade, uh, what? Mm, salami, come on. Come like off. a charcuterie board would be great. Um, I don't know. That's a good question.
3: Mm, yeah. What about um, uh, uh, I There's going to be all the foods in the pantry, potatoes, gar- garlic, What's bottles of wine, Andrew Scott Templeton. What's up, guys? Um, it's going to be feast time with with Jesus all the time. Are you going to track macros? Um, I don't even track macros now. I just enjoy God's delicious food. Um, and if I want to gain weight, I go to bed full. And if I want to lose weight, I go to bed hungry. It's a pretty simple process that i do in my life
2: with just potatoes and wine
3: there's, uh, there's there, hold on there's also lamb in the fridge because we got to have some good meat there and i'm just thinking this great big feast not every night but you know at least once a week with him
4: i'm not much of a foodie just wine very good wine. <laughs> from france he's like yeah. we're just gonna hop
2: from france like, yeah,
4: yeah. Gobl- goblets what, of wine. what
2: region
3: Ooh, wow. He doesn't even know. It's yeah, he like, he's what do you know? Bordeaux, champagne. It Bordeaux. doesn't matter. They all surrender to the Nazis at the same time. Oh. <laughs>
4: oh
2: <laughs> tell us how you really feel.
3: Coach de I mean, what are we talking about? I'm going with my Spanish wines. But oh. that's cool, yeah. Mm, yeah. the Rioja wines. Come on.
4: Awesome. So, in the previous episode, we took some questions from the fans. From the fans. Preguntas yeah. en okay. español. Cool. Yeah. So we responded to some questions, and we're not able to get through the list. And now we have a question from Boz that I'm about to pass the baton to. Roll. Yeah.
1: Oh, do you want me to read the question? Do you want to read it? Sure. Um, we're question number three on this list that you texted us. Yeah. Okay. From Boaz It says Which is a great name by the way It's a good biblical name It's definitely biblical Great name From where? From Nairobi Yeah Come on on, Welcome to
4: Wakanda Yeah Thank you (laughs) Boaz It's not Wakanda Come on Nairobi's Wakanda (laughs) of story. sorry (laughs) (laughs) Sorry sorry, I screwed that (laughs) one up Could
1: you shed more light On the Corinthians 10-13 debate Context I said I think one of the cliches That gets thrown around a lot Is that God will never give you More than you can handle that's not true. That's not biblical. God does it all the time. Andrew said, But doesn't he say that in the Bible? And I said, He never gives you more than you can handle without reliance on God. Like, and then there's a few, I stammered a little bit. And then I said, There's a lot of things that I cannot handle on my own strength, but because I love God, I can make it through that. God constantly gives you more than you can handle on your own. Moses was 80 years old when God told him to go back into Egypt. Do you think he really did that on his own strength? He made it through because he had God with him. And so that's, that was the question. Which is, and basically is does God give you more than you can handle?
3: Yeah. 100%, where was the unclear in this question again?
4: Uh, I think he asked. Uh,
1: I miss, I misspoke and then that, I think that
3: made gotcha. it. Gotcha, yeah, yeah, we yeah, I misspoke. That. Um, we we look at, I just think, just breaking it down again really quickly. Um, my version, or the version I use is the net version. Um, and it says, no trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others. Everyone's experiencing trials, the trial you're going through, you think, oh, it's only me. Other people have been there. Other people are going through it. That's your, I want to encourage you in that. Whoever's thinking about your trials, whatever you're going through there, that there someone else is going through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way, Jesus faced many trials and many temptations. Um, but then it continues, on, and God is faithful. God's faithfulness does not change. He is always faithful to us. He is always there for us. Will always wants to walk through things with us um, in that. And then it continues on, that he will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear. But with the trial will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Um, hmm. My Bible actually screwed up a little bit there. It says, we will also provide the A out instead of way out. Um, Get
4: rid of your Bible. Yeah, I know.
3: Editor. So th- I found an area. I'm gonna have to send the editor a little information on that, so that you may be able to endure it. Um, just the fact that he is always walking through, and that takes you back to Matthew 28, 19 through 20, at the end of that, where Christ is giving his great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching him to obey all that I have commanded you, right? And he says, and and lo and behold, I will be with you even to the ends of the age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through reliance on him and his strength and his power, we were able to go through things to conquer them based on him and what he's done. Uh, he says, Um, I you are more than a, I am more than a conqueror through him who conquers, right? In Romans, I think it's eight thirty seven, I butchered that a little bit, but that's where we're coming through is there's trials that hit us. Everyone's going to things that we can't do ourselves, but through reliance on God, he can get us through those.
1: And also Second Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, mm. for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, wow. in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. And I think a lot of times that's, that's a big part of, that's why Christians love so, sharing their testimony, because it's like, hey, This is how terrible of a person I was before I met Jesus. This is how terrible of a person I would be absent Christ. And look what he did in my life. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. And so in a way, you know, the more mistakes we made before we met Christ, the more powerful our testimony is because it shows even more what God is capable of doing in our lifetimes.
2: Well, and looking back, those usually tend to be the sweetest moments you have with God because you are surrounded by his presence regardless of what's going on around you. You know, you feel him working in you and walking with you in his nearness. And so maybe during it's difficult. But looking back, you're like, dang, he was there the whole time.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the confusion came because A, I misspoke. And B, there's a verse that Andrew read earlier that said you won't be tempted beyond what you can handle. Mm-hmm. And so, so God will allow us to be tempted in order to grow us in our faith. God doesn't tempt. He doesn't dangle sin in front of our face. Mm-hmm. He allows us to be tempted, um, but he does not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can handle.
4: Wow. And uh, Andrew quoted uh, Romans eight thirty seven. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's Romans 8, 37 to 38 shall we move on to the next question i think (laughs) so yeah right by the first lady jane from philadelphia yay Mm, city of brotherly love come on right in multi wow in multiple instances instances the bible talks about men being gods was this verse strictly meant for just uh, meant for just men in psalms 82 6 it is written i said you are gods you are you are all sons of the most high sons and the sons is highlighted why then is it that christians say things such as we are nothing without god yet the son of god already said we are like gods i feel like this is a very weighty question
3: very weighty questions i Um, mean
2: yeah i mean my bible kind of breaks it down a little bit is most of the ancient rabbis understood the idea of gods in quotations referring to judges um but some applied that in, in this covenant with the Lord, they were given like immortality by accepting the law, and if they, and they would have been able to live forever if they had not sacrificed the golden calf, similar to Adam Eve and you know uh, Eden. If they hadn't decided that they wanted to be gods themselves and took the apple, then they would have lived forever in communion with God, and that's where we keep striving back to. So, I think there's a little bit of an interpretation to what gods means there.
1: So, one one way that I um. I attack questions like this because if we're being real, that verse is worded a little awkwardly and it's kind of difficult to understand at first glance. And so there's a lot of that in the Bible. I wish I wish that everything was crystal clear, but there are a lot of verses in the Bible that are worded a little awkwardly and they're kind of tough to understand at first glance. And so what I want to do real quick is I kind of want to walk you all through the way that I approach, you know, verses that are a little awkward. And so the first thing we're going to do is we're just going to read all all of Psalm 82, which is where this verse comes from, just to put it in the proper context says, God has taken his place in the divine council In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Silla, God, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither understanding nor knowledge. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, here's the verse in question. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And so what I think when we read that verse in in the context of the entire chapter is that God's telling them that he's given them all of this authority. They are judges here on earth. And even though they have all this authority and they're powerful people, they're going to fall just like everyone else because God is sovereign over everything. And it doesn't matter how little or how much authority you have in this life. We are nothing compared to the guy who created the universe. And so we're all going to fall down, like it says, like any other prince. And so what I kind of want to do is just just lay out the template. So whenever you you encounter a verse that's a little awkward and it's a little difficult to understand at first, the first thing you do is read the entire chapter. So that way you put the verse in its proper context. And then what you can do is you can Google the original Hebrew meaning of the word, and that gives you a little more clarity. So in English, when we read that, it, it uses the word gods, lowercase g. Um, But the original Hebrew word was Elohim, which referred to Judges, like Mallory said. Mm -hmm. And so whenever there's a verse that's a little awkward, you can always go back to that original Hebrew or Greek meaning, and it gives you a little more direction, a little more clarity on the verse. Um, Yeah, and to be specific, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. So if the awkward verse is in the Old Testament, look up the original Hebrew meaning. If the awkward verse is in the New Testament, look up the original Greek meaning, and that should usually give you some good context.
4: Or reach out to Andrew.
1: The, the, our resident, or, or try. Are, I haven't taken Hebrew yet. Our, um, our resident theologian. We'll, we'll get there.
3: I'll help you out the New Testament. But Elohim does mean gods um, or judges, and so it's used to refer to God Himself, Elohim. But Yahweh is the more proper name for that. Um, it's also used to refer to the Canaanite gods, the Philistine gods, lowercase in that case, um, and also to judges or those people. And so, really, you look at God overall in this passage talking to his people, Israel, saying, hey, I, I put you in charge. You know, I've given you this authority as my sons, as my judges, Lord, and look at how you are leading wickedly. So verse two through seven is God talking um, in that. And he even says, all of you will die like mortals, right? Wow. You are not me. You are not Elohim. You're not Yahweh. You're not El Ad- Ad- Adonai. And he's He's creating that separation. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, Jesus talked about this passage. Um, and then so I went to the New Testament where Jesus talks about it. And he talks about it in um, John 10, where he said, in verse 34, where he says, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If those people to whom the word of God came were called gods, lowercase g, and the scripture cannot be broken, um, do you not say about the one whom the Father set apart and set into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? Right, Um, and so he's telling them, you were called sons of God in the Old Testament. You were called, this is who you are called. And then Jesus said, if you're blaspheming me because I call myself a son of God, Again, you were called sons of God. I call myself the son of God. And yet I am doing the deeds of my father, and you do not believe me. Right. And he is able to say, I am a son of God because I'm doing those deeds. You are able to be called sons of God because you are supposed to be doing the things your father has asked of you. And yet in this passage in Psalm, they were not doing the things their father had asked of them. Wow. Yeah. Very deep. Yeah. There's a lot to this one. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, it's context, all about context and what's going on in that passage. Who's speaking? Who's it to? What do the words mean? How can we translate it?
1: Yeah, and then also the second half of that question is, you know, if, if we're referred to as gods in the Old Testament, then why do we say things like we are nothing apart from God? And I think that the chapter mm-hmm. from that verse kind of answers, answers that question, which is that the reason we're nothing apart from God is because we are a microscopic speck of dust in comparison to God's glory, and even then that might be overstating it. They were microscopic, and so um, God put these guys in authority in the Old Testament. He can easily take it away. Without God, those guys aren't in authority. They are nothing without Him. And so I think that that chapter, the next couple of verses, kind of answer that question um, okay. on its own. I love how it says, I mean, the, "How John
3: Jesus says that in John, if those people to whom the Word of God came were called lowercase gods, yes. so when Big G revealing Himself to His people were called sons of gods or it'll claim little gods in that sense or whatnot." right it's god giving them their dominion their princes their whatever they want to call their judgment and that's why again verse 7 he's that's why he breaks down the end of that they will all die like mortals you will fall like
1: all the other rulers because they're still just men given authority by god well isn't it amazing how the bible hyperlinks to itself like it's not a linear document it's always Mm -hmm. quoting itself going backwards and forwards in time Mm -hmm. i just think that's so cool
4: yeah is it a literal document though as yes, you
1: can is. read the
3: whole thing. Okay. Yeah.
1: Even like Isaiah 53, it's it's prophesying about the Messiah 500 years down the road, but it's also talking in past tense. So it's just it's kind of this, this crazy thing of where Isaiah's, you know, talking about the coming Messiah and then he's from the perspective of of someone who's going to look back at Jesus and say, "Wow, we really missed the boat." You know, it's just it's kind of such a so everything we missed written the boat. in the Bible yeah, yeah. should be
4: taken literally. Yes. Okay. It's the word of God. Mm. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, no, not everything in the well, Word of like, God should be taken literally in a sense literally Um, like when jesus says uh, you see this this temple. I will in, You know destroy it and in three days. I'll raise it up again He's not literally talking about the temple that everyone else is saying he's talking about the temple of his body So we can't take everything literally because it is written in different ways. We have narratives there. We have poetry Um, we have history. There's quite different ways. So we have to look at how the bible in the context.
1: You're right Yeah, I should have clarified I when you said literally, I thought you were kind of implying that it's all true. And so that's what I was getting at. So yeah, Andrew's definitely right. It's not all literal because it is poetic in a lot of ways.
4: So how do we determine the parts that are poetic and the parts that are not poetic? And I mean, the parts yeah. that we are to interpret and do all the and contextualize in the parts that we are just to be like, Yeah, that's that that was said, that's it. That's it.
2: I think that's the important part of getting to know the Bible. Um, Reading it is a a clear way. Um, Understanding the historical context in which it was written into people. It was written to um, the literary uh, mechanisms that are used. I mean, the Bible, there's a lot of work that people have done to better understand the Bible, so it's not going to be reinventing the wheel. It's just going out there with those questions and being um, open to seeking what truth is, right? Um, So and then also praying about it. Uh, God is, you know, awesome to reveal what those are supposed to mean, and how you're supposed to apply that to your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think an unpopular opinion is that the Old Testament is boring and just historical. But um, like Roe was just saying, Isaiah talks about when Jesus was going to come. And not only that, but he also mentions uh, when he returns
3: prophecies, the mm-hmm. prophecy books. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Song of
1: Psalms is pretty interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, young. <laughs>
1: you know hebrew children were not allowed to read song of solomon until they turned 30 years old or they got married yeah oh really it was because it's so sexual that it's it
3: is a decision i'm married so i
1: can read it now (laughs) not 30 but i'm
3: married
2: so it's good yeah (laughs) i'm 30 so i can read it come on
4: (laughs) (laughs) wow and how many how many prophecies that are captured in the old testament have surely come to pass oh a lot i don't know the number on that
1: i mean I don't know how many prophecies there are. On the, there's a lot of them, which, by the way, going back to Mallory's point, like how some people say the Old Testament's boring. In my opinion, if you like Game of Thrones, you're not allowed to say the Old Testament is boring because it is <laughs> true. If we just put it in like a picture so everyone could see, like it's yeah, they'd be like, oh my gosh, this happened. If it's they like, made a movie, like, it's worse than Game of Thrones. If they made a movie about the Book of Esther, that would be the highest grossing Disney film of all time. The Book of mm-hmm. Esther is infinitely more. Infinitely more interesting than Disney films. It Indiana could Disney not film. be a Disney it could not film, film because
2: it literally has like prostitution she's, and it's she's like, literally. Has, well, I
3: mean, like all the Bachelor. Well, all, she's in the, the, harem, well, all like, the Disney and films she's getting tried out. Well, all the, Disney, really film, all the
1: Disney films are, are based off of terrible stories. No, sh- they no clean lead. it up a little bit. Have you not seen Bambi? It's an amazing story. Okay. And horrible. Go read the middle. Go read the original version of Snow White from the Middle Ages.
2: Okay. Sh- We're not going to talk about Grimm's that on a Tales. Bible show. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: That's not the Disney. That's not the Disney interpretation. Okay, let's. You bring it
2: back we yeah, bring it I
4: back You talked about esther in the book of esther i'm wondering who's that
2: oh mm.
1: good question so I love that book and I really hope I don't get details wrong because that would be embarrassing After I just said I love the book but um it takes place in the persian empire which is modern day iran And you know the jews are, are under the um Or under the authority of the persian empire israel have been captured
3: because they sinned against
1: god because they sinned against god and you have Esther who is this Jewish woman who is absolutely drop dead gorgeous and the king of the Persian empire divorces his wife out of anger and then he says when i replace my wife i'm going to have a beauty contest with all of the hottest women from around the persian empire and we're just going to have them and they're going to come in and for a year they're just going to do beauty treatments just around the clock for a year just to get ready for him like the guy was an egomaniac by the way if you just if you think that in order for a woman to be worthy enough to marry you. They need to go through beauty treatments for a year. That dude was an egomaniac, but because Esther was really attractive, she was selected into this harem of women who is going to be just trained for a year to be as beautiful as possible for this guy. The King's name was Xerxes.
2: And she uh, was a sleeper Jew. They didn't know that she was Jewish. They didn't.
1: That's right. a sleeper (laughs) agent, secret agent, (laughs) secret Jew. That's a really, that's a really (laughs) important detail because they did not know she was Jewish, but yet she made it into this, this bachelor, this bachelor competition. Basically it was the bachelor. Mm -hmm. And, um, she eventually gets chosen, and her people are, so the, the number two in command, I really hope I don't put you to the storyline, so the number two in command in, in ancient Persia was, um, what, was uh, what was this guy, it was, uh, it starts with an H, I it's think. H, yeah. Oh, don't worry, I'll just pull it up really quickly.
3: Uh, Haman. Huh? H-A-M-A-N. Yeah. Haman. Haman. Haman is. What Haman, Haman, Haman. There we go. Yeah. Haman. I'm thinking like Hamas over there, the terrorist organization in the Middle East right now. I'm sorry. No, <gasps> Haman. 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 Okay. So Haman. Which could have been Haman. I don't so remember.
1: Haman, he's the number two to the king. He's basically the power behind the throne. He's the guy whispering in the king's ear, and he's the prime minister of the country. And Mordecai, who's also a secret Jew, who is the uncle to Esther, refused to bow down to Haman one day because he's basically like, I'm not going to bow down to any earthly king. You're not in charge of me. God is. I'm not bowing to you. And so Haman was ticked when that happens. And so he issues this decree where to get back at Mordecai for not bowing down to him, every Jew in the Persian Empire is going to be killed. Just wow. basically ancient Hitler. On a certain day. Yeah. yeah. On a, it was March 14th, I believe. Um, and so he just like basically Pi, ancient. day? Really?
3: That's the time of Pi. I didn't know mm-hmm. it was killed. kill. Okay. Anyways, but anyway,
1: so it's, it's ancient Hitler. So he's going to kill all of the Jews because one guy didn't bow down to him. And so all these things happen. And then it's just an i really encourage you to go read it. it's a, i think it's a four or five chapter book it's an easy read but it's just such a good story and um he said and then Esther gets selected she she marries king Xerxes and then she goes to king Xerxes and pleads with him um please don't kill like don't kill all the jews and and the kind of the message of the story is that she didn't want to do it she didn't want to be obedient to god she did not want to go and plead for the jews life because if she went to the king without his permission that was a capital offense. She could be killed for that. So she didn't want to risk her own life to plead for the lives of the Jews. And so her uncle Mordecai says God's going to rescue his people either way. You can either be on the train or you cannot be on the train, but it's going to happen. And so you want to be, like, you want to be the reason, you want to be the person that God uses to rescue his people. And so she goes to the king.
2: Well, and not even just that, but he literally says, did you ever consider that God placed you here for this very purpose? Yes,
1: exactly. And so it's this, this amazing story where she goes and she pleads for the for the lives of the jews and, and Xerxes um, by the way when when Xerxes found out that his number 2 had you know commissioned the death of all of these jewish people he he kill he had Haman killed so this evil person this evil person who tried to kill all of the jews and then tried to do this public execution of Mordecai on a, he was going to impale him on a giant wooden pole cuz because Mordecai didn't bow down to him instead Haman was the one who got impaled on that pole because when Xerxes found out that Haman had launched this plan to kill all the Jews he was mm. furious and then had Haman killed and then the greatest part of the story is that Xerxes issued a decree that um he was basically arming the Jews to prepare them for this you know this coming assault and so the Jews on the day on March 14th or whatever the day was when they should have all been executed the Jews were victorious and that day is called oh. that day is called Purim and it's still celebrated by in the Jewish community today Purim oh. and so that basically hope it didn't butcher the storyline, but that it, that is the Cliff Notes version of the book of Esther. And it's one of the only books in the Bible that never mentioned the word God. But it's it's clear that you can see God working behind the scenes. You know, He's placing Esther in the palace for a very specific reason. He's placing Mordecai at the palace gate at a, for a very specific reason. He allowed Mordecai to, to anger Haman for a very specific reason. And then you can just see God working in all these incredible ways. And then all of a sudden at the end, God rescues his people. And it's awesome. It's a great story. Go read Esther. It's it's great. I love Esther. Wow,
4: that's nice. <laughs> I feel
2: like I watched the whole, like a whole movie. That's, that's, a that's, where, that's how we got onto
3: it. It's like a um, Disney movie. What he said, and we said it's so much different than a Disney movie because she was literally in the king's harem or a prostitute, mm-hmm. and he she was brought in to please the king for that one night after a year of purification. Did she? And she did. He picked her um overall not to be his Mm -hmm. wife but he did that with every single woman more or less to see who pleased him the most and it's it's really kind of i mean that's kind of a disgusting in our sense of the word like man why would a king do why would someone do that overall and they're like just and he said what he did though is how it went and he ended up choosing esther and
1: god used her to bring about the salvation or the saving of his people and it's, it's a really good lesson that even when we make terrible mistakes even when we do what we're not supposed to do we don't follow god god can still use all of that and it's just such a it's just such an amazing story. I love that story so
4: much if you can't tell. Yeah. Yeah, we can tell. You're such a great storyteller. Oh well, God <laughs> likes to use prostitutes. No offense,
3: I
2: mean No, this it's a, quite That's awesome. true. I mean, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mary
4: Magdalene?
3: Rahab. Rahab. Yeah. Rahab, you have to look at Ruth as well in the sense of, well, she was an important, what she did is she slept it was it Boaz that she came for? She slept at Boaz's feet that mm-hmm. one night, which is exactly the same place that a prostitute would be, but also in the sense of being submissive. And obviously they didn't do anything with that, but that's the same kind of sense in how she approached things there. Um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, not a prostitute, and dwelled by the Holy Spirit, but would have been outside of wedlock, looking like everyone around her is like, whoa, she's a sinner. She's doing something over here. And like, God used these women over and over again. Is it Tamar in the Old Testament? Um, who Judah ended up having sex with his daughter-in-law because he thought she was a cult prostitute and really it was just his daughter-in-law who he did not justify. Then he wants to have her murdered for being pregnant and he's like, oh, she's a better woman than me, more faithful than I am. It's crazy. God uses over and over the sins of people, especially when he's trying to show women and he's like, who in those cultures would have been the lowest in terms of a prostitute and he gives them a position of power and authority Inside
1: of his kingdom and puts him in the light of Christ. And and Bathsheba, who wasn't a prostitute, but she did cheat on her husband with David.
0: Yeah. And
1: became one of the grandmothers of Jesus. So Judah, what you just mentioned, the guy who slept with his daughter in law, got her pregnant, and then tried to lie about it. He is one of the ancestors of Jesus. So when I was growing up in, in when I was growing up Catholic and we go to Mass on Christmas Eve, oftentimes they would read the birth of they would read the story of the birth of Jesus, obviously. But they would start in Matthew chapter one, which if you've never read Matthew <laughs> chapter one, it's literally a, it's a, it's the a genealogy of Jesus. And it lists all of Zen. It's not an interesting place to be, especially because it takes a couple of minutes to read. and You're just sitting there. You're just like, I want to. You know, Genealogies. I'm hung- yeah. yeah, I'm hungry. I want to go eat. Let's, you know, let's let's wrap Certain this up.
4: Such should be God, Such and such should be God, Such and such. Yeah. And but such
1: it's such like but, but when you read that genealogy and you actually dig into what happened and the stories behind each of those names, it's wild because. The line that Jesus came from was not a bunch of pure, you know, priests. That's not where he came from. He came from a line of liars, cheaters, prostitutes, murderers. That's where Jesus came wow. from. And wow. it's it God is taking this bloodline of really messed up people and saying, "Look, I can use you. Here's your descendant. He's going to redeem mankind. He's going to be pure."
4: Yeah. Wow. Without sin. Yeah. That's awesome. That's oh. awesome. All
3: right, what's our next question? That was a little bit of a update. Big big explanation of esther but i think we have time for one more <clears throat> yeah one more i completely
4: forgot um, we were answering questions um, <clears throat> i'm going to throw the ball to you andrew question Oh, five.
3: oh he's got to read it yeah i thought you were saying you're going to ask me the question overall on that i right, asked from uh, elsie from dallas she talked about her mother's day episode and how Roe talked about being uh there's being a huge chasm separating men from god and there's nothing we can do to bridge that and kind of what uh Mallory talked about at the end of last episode If God is so loving as he says, why is there such a gap still in place? And the gospel is often stated to require no action from our part that has already been granted. Why is it that we still need to confess and believe in God and abstain from sin for us to truly find salvation? Man, quite a few questions in there. Um, If God, if we'll start with the first one, if God is as loving as he says he is, why is there still a gap in place? Wow.
2: I mean, there's a lot of assumptions in that question, too, um, that I'm excited to answer. So thank you, Elsie.
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to earlier we talked about how you cannot love someone at gunpoint. And so if God, if everyone went into heaven without, you know, no matter what you did, whether you loved God or hated him, if everyone went into heaven, first of all, God is not just because he's allowing sin to go unpunished. Um, And so just to kind of back up what I mean by that is, you know, when Jesus went to the cross and he took the penalty for our sin, he, God allowed his wrath to be poured out on Jesus because a perfect, a good judge cannot let sin go unpunished otherwise he's no longer just so what he did is he, he poured out judgment on jesus so that he didn't have to pour it out on us he poured out judgment on himself so that he didn't have to do it on us and so whenever we say whenever we get into heaven we can we can be in a sinless place we can be in the presence of god because our sins have been taken away from our, our sins have been taken away from us by jesus but if we never accept that gift and we don't allow jesus to pay the penalty for our sins then we have to pay the penalty for our sins which means we don't get to spend eternity with God, we don't get to go to heaven. And so if God just let everyone into heaven, regardless of what happened, then he would, he would no longer be a just God. He would just be kind of, he, he would be, it would be nepotism, really, because he would be ignoring the law. He would be in, ignoring justice because we're his kids. And a perfectly just God can't do that, just like a judge couldn't ignore the law for his kids. And so there has to be justice, which means someone's got to pay for our sins. And if you don't know Jesus, you're the one who's going to have to pay for those sins. If you do know Jesus, good news. He already paid for him. You're good. Um, and, so, and so that's why he can't just carte blanche, let everyone into, into heaven. There has to be a choice for us to allow Jesus to take away our sin for us to get into heaven or else God no longer becomes a just God. There has to be cool.
3: a, a penalty or a payment for the wrongdoings committed, no matter what goes on there. And I think that bridge diagram we like to use, We'll think about the two sides being connected at first. And then we chose, not us personally, but our ancestors, Adam, chose to go way away, sin against God. Those are separated. And then God being loving, existed as love for eternity, um, and loving each part of the Trinity, decides to bridge that gap through Christ and his reconciliation. And then so he bridges the gap. And he says, hey, the bridge is there. It's right there. And all you have to do is confess and believe in him mm-hmm. and walk across cool. that bridge in trust and in faith. Right, so in a sense why does God leave the gap? The gap's there because of the sins, but then he's bridged the gap. We have to choose to walk on that bridge, um, looking on that. And the only bridge across, it's like, here's a chasm, a chasm that goes, we look left, it's thousands of miles, we look right, it's thousands of miles, right in front of us is a bridge, and it's Christ. And we say, oh, you know what? I don't want to take that bridge. I'm going to keep looking right. That's what we choose to do. And like, why does this chasm still exist? And it's like, there was a bridge right there. God provided it. He's the one that made a way. And then we have to choose to walk on it and trust and in faith.
2: Well, and I think just to go further into that, um, it's easy to think from yourself, like your point of view of why do I need to accept this? Like what um, what about this? You know, why can't I just be safe or why can't I because I'm good enough? But just think of any person who's ever hurt you, anyone who's ever taken something from you, anything that any broken relationship you have in your life um would you see god as loving if he didn't have some level of justice when it came to that person Mm. you know would you feel safe with god if you knew that he didn't care about it or it wasn't valuable to him and so i think it's really quick to think from yourself of like why like i don't want to feel less than or that someone else has to help me but if you think of it from the other side of you know that person who hurt you are, would you be okay with them just walking across that bridge and being chill and never having to do anything about that broken relationship you know mm. and so if you apply that to your own life there are things that you've done that has broken relationships or potentially hurt someone else and God loves them too and so there's an aspect of that but there's also an aspect of being able to accept this gift you have to a- acknowledge that you need it you know that there's something there that's lacking that you have to resolve
1: imagine mm-hmm. imagine if we didn't have a prison system and so Someone could walk up to you murder your entire family and beat you half to death and then there's absolutely zero accountability Would you say that? Would you consider that a loving thing to do because that guy didn't have to go to prison? No, absolutely not You would say that if if there was a government that didn't send that guy to prison You would not consider that a loving thing to do you would say you have a complete Apathy towards me you do not care about me and so I think that in any way in, in any if anything hell is evidence of God's love because A, it's evidence that he's willing, he, he's not going to force us to love him. He's not going to make us love him at gunpoint. It's evidence of that. And B, it's evidence of his perfect justice. And it's evidence that he know it's evidence that he will say, I'm not going to let the sins of the world go unpunished. I care about you enough to where the, the wrongdoings that are done to you are not going to go unpunished. And I'm not going to refuse to hold someone accountable. Um, I will allow justice to be done. And I think that's I think if anything hells is, is evidence of God's love not not uh, evidence against it.
4: Doesn't Jesus ask you that okay so if someone hits you on this cheek you need to turn the other cheek so they can slap you again.
1: Yeah, I actually one one way I've um I've heard that explained is that if if Jesus said if if someone hits you your right cheek I believe he said if you hit your right cheek then turn your left. And one way that I've heard that explained is that just about everyone in, in ancient Rome was right-handed. So if they hit you on your right cheek, that means they backhanded you. And so one, one interpretation is that if someone hits you on your right cheek, if you get backhanded, turn around and say, hit me like a man. That, that's one explanation is that Jesus isn't telling you to be meek. He's telling you to kind of be strong and take on
4: suffering willingly. Oh, wow. That's an interesting perspective. That's
3: another can of worms we'll have to open up later. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Talking about Jesus and when it comes to not being um, someone who is active in military or calling his followers to take up arms, his actual, he tells Simon Peter to take away, put away his sword. Yeah. Uh, and the sword he tells the disciples to carry um, when he t- sends them out is basically one sword. I think it's for two over 12, of them. I don't remember if it's one. And that's a very short sword that would be used um, actually for, you know, chopping up their food and for daily activities and cutting wood and things like that, not for fighting. And so he never calls the people, his followers or Christians to fight. Um, he actually, and when he, part of that other story is, hey, um, if they, you know, give them, their, give them your cloak. And then he says, if they ask you to go a mile with them, go two miles with them. Referring to Roman soldiers could ask anyone, hey, carry my armor for a mile. And he says, do it for two. Love them so well, they ask questions. Right? We can dive in another episode, but.
4: Well, yeah.
3: the uh, the Another little question here at the very end before we you know, want to answer this question as fully as possible. Um, she says, there, why is it that we still need to confess and believe in God and abstain from sin for us to truly find this salvation? Because, she says, and the gospel is often stated to require no action from our part that's already been granted. Um, it does require action on our part. Um, we have to acknowledge it and accept it and repent and move in the opposite, opposite direction. We kind of talked about in the last episode about acknowledging yeah. things. The demons acknowledge what Christ did. The demons acknowledge what's going on. The people acknowledge it. We have 99% of historians will say that Jesus died on the cross. They acknowledge it but they don't do anything with it. And so we have to then repent and move with it Um, like the thief on the cross
1: Yeah, it's not Yeah, and just to clarify it's not that we we do nothing. It's that we don't have to work for it It's not something we have to earn Mm, That's good. Yeah, Yeah. it's been freely given Yeah, and it's a free gift in the sense that a gift
3: is given Typically I feel an obligation like I get a gift. I'm like, oh dude, they got me a christmas gift I gotta get them something back. This is a free gift where it says you actually can't give anything back for it ever what kind of a deal you just have to be willing to accept it and open it you know sometimes you get a gift you're like i can't i'm good take it back you know but this is a gift you say all right i want it i'm going to open it i freely accept it i'm all in um in that sense
2: well and i think if you look at this confess and believe in god and abstain from sin this is another way that god is showing his love because if you think about a relationship right you don't really feel at peace if there's something that you're holding back from them. You know, something that you did that hurt them or, you know, maybe you cheated or whatever the case may be. Whenever they show you love, it hurts, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, I don't know if I deserve this. You don't really know me. Yeah. And so part of that confession God does for our benefit in the sense of we are owning that and bringing it forward and into the light so that he is aware of it, which he already knows, but he's doing it for you so that you feel that love and there's nothing holding you back from it, but there's also an acknowledgement of how much he loves you right how much his death meant to you personally for all the things that you've done he knew it still saved you still chose you you're still going to go to heaven and so it's it's a gift honestly when you're able to confess and that abstaining from sin is not something you do on your own you know he walks with you he is near to you and it's it's a heart change that occurs when you realize how good he is and what life is like with him that you there's going to be a natural change if there is a heart love for him, not just a a knowing of it, then you're gonna naturally, your life is gonna start to manifest that and and change in that way. And you're not gonna feel it as a loss in the same way. There's gonna be a grieving process um, of changing from being of the world, but it's gonna be joyful.
3: Mm. Well, yeah, there is a change that has to take place in your life. Um, Abstaining from sins completely 100% perfect is not a requirement. Um, Being obedient and faithful is what he asks. And when we do disobey, is being repentant on that. That's why we see David as a heart af- has a heart after God, because he was repentant. wasn't the best guy in terms of his purity or in terms of his obedience, but when he did screw up, he repented. And that's what God asks of us.
4: Yeah, awesome. May your struggles keep you near the cross, and may your troubles show that you need God. May your battles end the way they should, and may your bad days prove that God is good. May your whole life. Prove that God is good. That was it, beautiful people. We are very excited about our our next uh, kind of mini series on seasons, uh, seasons of life, where we'll be talking about in joy and in grief, in abundance and in lack, in acceptance and in rejection, in success and in failure. So stay tuned for that. If you have any more questions you know how to reach us shining delight on all platforms Um, uh, yeah we love you so much and hey jesus loves you more than we do so just make that decision if you have the conviction you know if you have that thing in your heart that's tugging at you to even ask these very critical questions then just make the decision to follow christ he loves you he's been waiting for you he cares about you adios muchachos beautiful people hasta pronto
1: Bye, I don't know if I supposed to say something like, funny. Bye, guys. Okay. We, should, we should get something for
4: you, bro.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at Delight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.